Conference muted. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Judge Lopez. Today is March the 10th. I'm going to call the 230 case uh, Loyalty Ventures, Inc. here on first days. Um, this is about a little over 100 people, so I've muted the line. I'm going to ask uh, for those parties that wish to make an appearance that you hit five star now, uh, and I will unmute your line, and I'm going to keep it unmuted. Just ask that you please kind of monitor yourselves and keep your phone on mute. For those who uh, wish to make um, an appearance but don't necessarily wish to do it at this time, I'd ask that you please go to my website, uh, and if you go to the link that says Electronic Appearances, you'll see a link. You can just fill in your information there, and I ask that everyone do that as well. So, all right, let me start to unmute lines here. I'm going to ask that we start to make appearances with debtors' counsel. So I'm going to start to unmute a couple of lines. If you are not debtors' counsel, keep your line on mute, and then we'll kind of get to you. Let's see. All righty. I've unmuted someone from Debtors Council who wishes to make an appearance. Just let me know. Your Honor, this is Edward Friedman speaking. I think my line has been unmuted. Yes, it has. I'm one of <laughs> Good the... afternoon. Thank you, Your Honor. I'm with the firm of Friedman, Kaplan, Seiler, Edelman, and Robbins, and we are uh, among the council representing uh, the debtors. Okay. Good afternoon, sir. Thank you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Good afternoon. We have proposed co-counsel to the debtors of this account. I believe Mr. Marty Brevich from Aiken Gump will be handling further introductions. Okay. Mr. Brim oh, there you are, Mr. Brimage. I apologize, there's a lot of boxes here. Um, have I unmuted your line, Mr. Brimage? I don't believe I have. Let me. I'll keep clicking. And, and Judge Blake got me unmuted. Um, this is Victoria Ardorapolis from Jackson Walker as well, um, appearing on behalf of the debtors. All righty. Good afternoon. Mr. Brimage, did I get you? Uh, I still haven't. Mr. Brimage, why don't you hit five star again? Let me make sure I got you. That you, Mr. Berman? Your Honor, can you hear me now? Victory. Okay. We're good. All right. Perfect. Your Honor, Marty Brimage with Aiken Gump, Strauss, Aaronfeld. Here's proposed counsel for the debtors. Um, and when the time is right, I'd like to introduce some other folks, but I'll let you uh, take the role first or however you want to do it. I'm happy to do it now or later. You tell me. Why don't you do it now before we go ahead and do it now? Okay. Absolutely, Your Honor. Um, and look, the good news for you and, and everybody else today is you're going to hear very little from me. Um, so my main purpose, um, and I know I know, Mr. Columbus is also excited, and Mr. Halley is also excited, and Mr. Higgins is also excited about that. Um, 
So let me introduce you to Meredith LaHaye. Meredith has been in the Southern District several times, but I think this is her first time in front of you, Your Honor. Um, so she will be kind of emceeing uh, the proceedings for us and giving you the introduction and so forth. And so you'll, she'll become a familiar face and name to you as this case goes on. Okay. In addition, you'll hear from Lacey Lawrence. Um, you know my partner, Lacey Lawrence. Um, I think you're familiar with her. She'll address evidence and testimony issues as necessary today. And then I'd like to introduce uh, three of my colleagues that are going to um, present first-day motions. This is certainly their first time in front of you as well, Your Honor. Um, and we're, we're very proud of them. And as you can understand, in a better case, working up to a day like today, they have worked incredibly hard. So we're very pleased with not only the work they've done and we're excited they're going to get to present, but we're also very happy that they're still awake um, and, 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 and able to do this. <laughs> um, and so that would be Leah Lopez, Malik Dahl, and Amelia Danovich. Um, and so with that, Your Honor, I'll let you take other appearances, and then Ms. LaHaye will take it from there. Sounds Thank great. Thank you. Ms. LaHaye, have I unmuted your line? I just want to make sure I've got you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Can you hear me? Just fine. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, and I, before I continue, I would note we've um, had a number of hearings today. I, working, still working through all the pro hoc, so uh, to the extent that yours has not been entered, uh, you're free to appear today. It'll likely uh, get entered as we um, work our way through today's hearing. So, for example, Mr. Resnick, I, I know that yours was queued there. No issues, you or any of your colleagues. Uh, Mr. Greenberg as well. Any issues there? I think at some point they'll continue to hit the docket. So um, we'll continue to work through that. So, uh, Mr. Duran, do I have you? I want to make sure I've got you unmuted as well. Hector Duran for the U.S. Trustee's Office. Can you hear me, Your Honor? Just fine. Okay. Good afternoon. Mr. Columbus, do you wish to make an appearance? Yes, Your Honor. Eli Columbus uh, with Haynes and Boone representing Bank of America as the administrative agent uh, under the debtor's credit agreement. Along with, with me from Haynes and Boone today are uh, Matthew Ferris and Fraser Murphy appearing for today's hearing. Thank you, Your Honor. Okay. Good afternoon to all of you. Mr. Higgins, do you wish to make an appearance? Yes, Your Honor, I do. Can you hear me okay? Just fine. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, John Higgins and Shane Johnson appearing on behalf of Red Financial Holdings, Inc., uh, which is also formerly known as Alliance Data Systems Corporation. Okay. And I'm here today with Mr. Red, who I'm sure will. Sounds great. Okay. Good afternoon and good to see all of you. Mr. Howley, you wish to make an appearance. Uh, good afternoon, Your Honor. Tom Howley with Howley Law. I am a co local counsel to an ad hoc group of Term B loan lenders. Uh, lead counsel is Gibson Dunn, and you mentioned Mr. Greenberg earlier. He's joined by some of his other colleagues. And I would like to note that I always like to hear Mr. Brimage talk with his accent. So he can <laughs> wants for that. Good afternoon. And... Uh... Ms. Gaines, I, I know that we've gotten your pro hook on, and good afternoon as well. And Mr. Greenberg, good afternoon to you as well. Good afternoon, Your Honor. All righty. Uh, I might have run out of boxes that I, I know, so I'm going to open it up and see if anyone wishes, else wishes to make an appearance at this time, knowing that you can also do the electronic appearance as well. And if I... You still need to hit five star. Just let me know. 
All right, Miss LaHaye, I'm going to turn things over to you. Very good. Thank you very much, Your Honor. Again, for the record, Meredith LaHaye from Aiken, appearing as proposed counsel to uh, the Debtors Royalty Venture, Inc., and their affiliated debtors and debtors in possession in these Chapter 11 cases. Uh, Mr. Brimage was kind enough to do the lovely introductions. I'm also joined by my partner, Phil Dublin. Uh, and as you heard, we have a number of our associates who will also be making presentations later in the agenda for today's hearing. Uh, it is a pleasure to be before Your Honor for the first time, and I'm looking forward to many future appearances in this court. Thank you. Uh, and again, thank you, Your Honor, very much for setting aside time on what I understand to already have been a very busy Friday for you, obviously, a Friday afternoon. Uh, and I know we haven't made it easy on you by filing a voluminous amount of papers, uh, both here, obviously, in the Chapter 11 proceedings, and obviously, I'm sure Your Honor will have seen uh, the affiliates of these debtors that commence a CCAA proceeding in Canada this morning. Uh, in respect of a demo transaction that we will speak about in connection with the first day summaries. Uh, as Your Honor has probably gleaned uh, from some of the presentations that have been made already today and from the first day filings, it's been uh, quite a sprint to get here today. Um, Your Honor will have seen that we are here with the support of um, at least a, a substantial amount of our lenders under our credit agreement. We have signed a PSA. Um, those negotiations carried out well into, into the morning hours. Uh, which necessitated us pushing these, the filing of these cases off a bit and unfortunately filing the substantive pleadings a bit later than, than we would have liked. You're going to hear that we expect to have uh, more than 66 and two-thirds, and I expect quite a bit more than 66 and two-thirds of the lenders under that credit agreement signed up by next week, uh, but more obviously on that to come and more on the transactions that are contemplated both by the transaction support agreement and in these Chapter 11 cases, uh, and then I'll also touch on how those transactions intersect with the other transactions that are currently playing themselves out around the world. Uh, I'd also like to thank, of course, as always, um, the U.S. trustee. They always work so cooperatively with us, and I know that this one's been a particular whirlwind to get all the orders negotiated. I think I've seen emails going on as we speak, um, folks trying to settle comments to orders, and so we appreciate how quickly they've been able to move to, to make this hearing as smooth as possible, at least from the U.S. trustee's perspective. So we've done some introductions uh, as, as it relates to the Aiken team. I'd like to make a few introductions as it relates to the company, obviously, uh, the heart of this company, and, and there'll be folks that you'll, you'll see and hear from quite a bit, I would expect, as these cases progress. On the screen, you'll see our first day declarant. That's Charles Horn. He is the Chief Executive Officer of Loyalty Ventures, Inc. Uh, I also see a number of boxes that don't have cameras on um, that I recognize in terms of being members of the management team. Um, I see boxes for Cindy Hageman, our general counsel, and Jeff Chesnut, our chief financial officer. Uh, I see Cindy coming on the video now. Um, there have been a handful of others as well, and, and these are folks that have worked literally around the clock for the past several weeks and even, I think, before that uh, to get all the various transactions to, to the places they are today, which, which the company, I think, is quite proud of. We've done some introductions as far as the company advisors are concerned. Um, we have some slides that I'll have to put up in a minute, but you, you've seen that we've got uh, already, we've got co-counsel on the restructuring side with Aiken and Jackson Walker. We obviously have litigation counsel, which is Mr. Friedman's firm, and you'll hear, um, I think, a bit about potential litigation today and much more about potential litigation in the hearings to follow. Um, we also have retained A&M, uh, are looking to retain A&M as our financial advisor in these cases. Um, we have been working with PJT as investment banker. I think the investment banker services for the debtors really wrapped up before the filing of these cases, and now they are providing assistance to Loyalty One, 
which is the entity that commenced the CCAA proceeding in Canada. Uh, I'm sure there are others. Uh, obviously, we've, we've, I think, as Your Honor has already seen, we have retained Kroll as a noticing claims agent, and given the international nature of these transactions, we have many other advisors hard at work on various international aspects of the cases. Uh, but with at least a handful of introductions behind us, I would like to make a few opening remarks and give Your Honor a bit more background um, on, on where we are, how we came to be in these Chapter 11 cases. I want to give Your Honor a sense of how this part of the business fits into the global operations, and then obviously touch on what's going on from a, from a transaction perspective around the world. And I want to emphasize as I, I go through these transactions how important it is from the company's perspective that we do have the support from, from the lender group, who I know you'll be hearing from, um, if not more today, than again in the future of these cases. So with that, Your Honor, I do have a few slides. Um, if we could turn the presenter privileges over to Bo Butler, that would be wonderful. Mr. Butler, I'm looking at a bunch of boxes, but if you put your hand up, I can find you. Uh, let's see. Let's see if I can find active cameras. Mr. Butler, are you there? Mr. Butler, can you? Let's see. Oh, I see you. I found you. No hiding, Mr. Butler. All righty. And if I could ask Mr. Butler to start on page six. I think we've covered the, the first couple of slides. Uh, slide six is a very simplified organizational structure, Your Honor, just to orient you. We've got, we've got four debtor entities in these Chapter 11 cases. We've got two debtor entities that are either a borrower or guarantor under our credit agreements, and then we've got two entities. Um, that I would characterize, and that's LVI, Sky Oak, and Rhombus Investment, that I would characterize as entities that were uh, part of the tax sandwich that was uh, created as a result of the spinoff transaction that you'll hear about. Um, so really for ease and for tax purposes, it, it was made, uh, the determination was made that it made sense to file those companies collectively in these Chapter 11 cases. But you'll see, as indicated by the colored rings, uh, we do only have two entities that are obligated on uh, the approximately $650 million of indebtedness. Uh, you'll see as we go more through the discussion of what the company does, Loyalty Ventures, Inc., which is our lead debtor, is the ultimate parent company of the entire corporate structure. Uh, and as we talk a little bit more about what the business does, uh, I, I think about it really in three compartments, Your Honor. There's the Loyalty Ventures, Inc. part of it, which is the part of it that's in these Chapter 11 cases. That's where this management team is housed. That's where I would say a lot of the infrastructure and the technology sits that is necessary and essential to make sure that the balance of the, of the companies around the world are able to operate. And obviously the management team that you see here is the management team worldwide for the operations, obviously very essential to keeping things running. Uh, what you're seeing on slide seven is a quick summary of our two main business lines. We have our Air Miles business line and brand loyalty. Air Miles is the business line that you may have seen hit the news, particularly if you read the Canadian press. Uh, there was quite a lot of uh, news that came out this morning uh, about a, a purchase agreement that the Loyalty One entity has signed with BMO uh, in connection with, BMO, with which BMO has agreed to serve as what I think of as a stocking horse in a sales proceeding, and in Canada they call it a SIF. But the summary of what's happening in Canada is Loyalty One earlier today launched their CCAA proceeding. They got their initial relief in front of the, the Canadian court. Uh, they do have a comeback hearing scheduled, I believe, for March 20th, in connection with which they will be seeking authority to launch their sales process, uh, again, anchored by a BMO stocking horse purchase agreement. 
Uh, the Air Miles business um, is a rewards program, as your owners probably guessed and your owners probably saw in, in the papers, a very, very well-known, prominent reward program in Canada. Um, and I, I gather that there are millions of Canadians that participate in that program, and you'll see references throughout the materials to those, those participants being referred to as collectors. Uh, the other main business line of, of, of the corporation here is brand loyalty. Brand loyalty operates primarily in Europe, and it is similarly uh, a loyalty-based business um, with rewards points, et cetera. It does operate on a smaller scale, that, scale than Air Miles. Air Miles, I, would, I think it's fair to say, is the flagship business for this corporate structure. Uh, with that, I think we can turn the page. So events leading to Chapter 11, as I'm sure Your Honor has seen, uh, and I'm sure Your Honor has also gleaned from the fact that we've got multiple appearances here today by bread lawyers, uh, the spin-off transaction and the repercussions of the spin-off transaction are going to be uh, really one of, if not the main storyline of these cases. Uh, and I'm sure Your Honor has, has seen the summary of the spin-off transaction in Mr. Horn's first day declaration. I won't spend too much time getting into the weeds of uh, the various pieces of the spin-off, but in summary, the spin-off transaction was consummated in November of 2021. And as a result of the spin-off of these Loyalty One, Loyalty Ventures, brand loyalty businesses from what used to be called Alliance Data and is now called Bread, as a result of that spin-off, the loyalty, uh, the, um, the LVI entities were forced to take on approximately $650 million of secured funded debt. Um, they were also forced to have $100 million of cash that was on the balance sheet of those companies swept uh, and distributed off to ADF. Uh, you'll see some of the mechanics on that slide of what EDS then did, but at least some of the proceeds that were generated as, as a result of the, of the spin-off transaction. Uh, but as we're going to get to on future slides, it was, it was fairly apparent that immediately after the spin-off transaction, the company was left in, a, in an untenable position. Uh, and as we're going to see in a minute, there were, the company was already facing a number of struggles uh, and the, the, the debt obligations that were imposed on the company as a result of the spin-off transaction either exacerbated those issues or really created new ones. And as a result of all of those events, uh, the company found it necessary to implement a number of transactions and include and commence these Chapter 11 cases. So I think we can turn to the next page and get, get into the weeds a bit more on some of the challenges for the Air Miles business. I don't know if other folks are hearing that. Yeah, I'm hearing background. a little bit of background noise. <laughs> Everyone other than Ms. LaHaye can just mute your line. I'm trying to avoid... Doing everything again. I'm happy to speak to speak over it, Your Honor, as long no, as you're not distracted. No, I um sounds like whoever sounded like Frogger back in the day, but whoever was doing that. Uh, <laughs> I, I had that thought as well. I'm, I'm dating myself. <laughs> Go ahead, it's like, Thank you. No, no problem. Uh, okay, so turning to page ten, spending just a couple of minutes on the challenges facing the Air Miles business. Um, again, as I mentioned at the beginning of this discussion, these are all challenges that the company believes were exacerbated or to a lesser extent created by uh, this, the result of the spin-up transaction itself. Uh, but among other things, they are, the Air Miles business has been a victim of the fact that many of their major contract counterparties, which we call sponsors, over the years have launched their own in-house programs and have left the Air Miles syndicate effectively to run and operate their own programs. There have been multiple client departures over, over the past few years. Uh, and as you'll see and learn about this business, it is, it is really dependent on having a critical mass of those sponsors uh, form what's called a coalition 
to make sure they're all feeding off of each other and able to promote having a certain number of sponsors in the coalition so they can deliver maximum flexibility to the collectors of the rewards points. Uh, so you'll see in the details here that there were a couple of departures. Those departures com combined with the company's uh, very difficult financial position also led some of the other major sponsors to renegotiate contract terms in ways that were most definitely not economically favorable to the company. Uh, and some of those were quite recent. So I think this I think that's covered where we are in Air Miles, which turned out to the brand loyalty business. Uh, brand loyalty business, I, I don't think, Your Honor, this is a COVID case, although you'll see when we get to the brand loyalty business, there are some COVID ramifications here with brand loyalty. The brand loyalty re rewards programs largely, or at least partially, operates in delivery of products, but you can redeem miles for products and other types of goods. Uh, given that that's the case, the brand loyalty business, I think, suffered pretty, pretty substantially from, from the global supply chain delays that resulted from the COVID pandemic, uh, and it also has suffered from the, the repercussions of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, including the fact that brand loyalty was forced to cease business in Russia. Um, I think that covers brand loyalty. Turning now to the current capital structure, I alluded to the indebtedness. This is a breakdown of the approximately $650 million of secured debt that comprised the credit agreement, as you've heard, I think, referenced by the representations you have here today, we've got three different pieces of that facility. There is a term A loan facility, a term B loan facility, and a revolving credit facility. And your honor sees the breakdown of the facilities on page 12. Turning to the next slide. Uh, yeah, this is where we start to tell you a more immediate story of how we got to these cases. Uh, and I think the, the negotiations with the lenders and the folks that you've seen uh, on these squares representing various of the constituencies under the credit agreement really began to engage um, late 2022 uh, when, as I said, we started to get some of these sponsors either leaving or re-engaging or renegotiating with the contract with the company on modified contract terms. Um, at that point in time, um, the company did begin to engage with its, with its stakeholders. There were some liability management exercises that were conducted to see if the company could put off a potential filing or find another way around any kind of a, a global restructuring or other M&A sales transactions efforts. So there were some efforts taken under the credit agreement to give the company a bit more relief. Uh, but as you, Your Honor will have seen in the first declaration, those efforts were not successful to keep the company out of a longer-term, more holistic solution. So in terms of where that brings us, Your Honor, um, on the path forward, as I said, we have been engaging with our, with our creditors under the, under the credit agreement for many months now. It's been, I think, a fairly difficult process. It's a, it's a complicated company with a lot of international assets and a lot of jurisdictions involved. Um, and I think, as Your Honor will have seen, especially with respect to the air miles business, it's a very, um, it's a very consolidated series set of, of sponsors. There, there aren't, there are very few sponsors that derive a lot of the, the revenue from the company. Uh, so when the, when you get a major sponsor that departs, it has material impacts on the company's on the company's business. So all of those um, all of those events have led us to where we are today, which is after months of negotiations with our secured lenders, after months of analyzing what potential options the company may have with respect to each of the business lines and all of the relevant jurisdictions that we've been talking about. Uh, the company, together with the lenders that are represented here have determined that it's in everyone's best interest to enter into the transaction the support agreement. Uh, and I apologize for the fact that that's a transaction services agreement. That's been a common mistake in a case that has two different TSA acronyms. But this is talking about a transaction support agreement pursuant to which our credit agreement lenders 
have agreed to support all of the transactions that we've been describing, both here at the first day hearing and in the first day declaration. And obviously, as, as you might expect, the consenting lenders have certain rights and, and privileges, et cetera, that would typically flow under a transaction support agreement under that document. As I mentioned, I think at the outset of the hearing, Your Honor, as we sit here today, uh, that agreement has been signed by approximately 48% of the total amount outstanding under the credit agreement. Uh, and we've been given assurances, and I think Your Honor will hear representations today, uh, that we have every expectation that we're going to get to 66 and two-thirds or some amount in excess of 66 and two-thirds uh, by the end of next week. So turning to slide 16, as I referenced again earlier in the presentation, uh, th this Chapter 11 case is a combined international effort uh, to find a solution that makes sense for all of the different business lines. I did mention the fact that there is a CCAA proceeding that's been commenced in respect of Loyalty 1, the entity that holds the Air Miles business, and I did mention that we have a stocking horse bid submitted by BMO, uh, which will obviously uh, will be the anchor of the sales process in Canada. Moving down to the brand loyalty business, uh, as I mentioned, Gerard, that business has been struggling. It has had, I think, a number of issues, some of which relate to COVID, some of which don't relate to COVID. Uh, but but it's, been, it's been struggling for a while, and it's a company that's very complicated in terms of its structure and makeup and where it operates. Uh, I think it operates in something like 16 or 18 foreign jurisdictions. So getting, getting anyone's arms around how to process and restructure that business has proved, had proved very challenging. Um, I'm happy to say that we were, we were approached by a potential buyer at a sale transaction uh, earlier this year based on all the facts and circumstances and how difficult it was to otherwise find a solution for that business. The company determined that it made sense to enter into a purchase agreement to sell the brand loyalty business for $6 million. That purchase agreement has now been signed. Uh, it's my understanding that there are a number of regulatory and other steps that need to be taken before that sale can be consummated. Uh, and the company, as I mentioned, was struggling and, and in fact, it did need incremental liquidity to support it, to bridge it to a sale. So in connection with the negotiation of the sale, the parties did agree uh, to put a 25 million euro bridge facility in to support the business until closing. And I'll note that as part of the support that the lenders have given us under the transaction support agreement, was the agreement to subordinate their liens and claims to that priming facility, uh, that priming bridge facility, and ultimately to release their liens and claims against the brand loyalty assets. I think slide uh, 17, Your Honor, previews coming attractions. Uh, I, I think the, the summary for today's hearing is, is a lot of the, uh, the more substantive matters that you might typically expect to see in a first day hearing, uh, like a dip facility motion, uh, and frankly, like a combined disclosure statement and planned conditional approval motion, which we had originally been contemplating for today. Given the time constraints uh, and the number of other moving pieces, we, we simply didn't get them done for today. So what we're anticipating is we're going to spend the next week. We're going to be negotiating, uh, as was mentioned, the terms of an intercompany dip that will be funded from Loyalty 1 to LVI after Loyalty 1 gets approval of a dip that will be funded by BMO. That approval will be sought and is expected to be obtained on March 20th. Um, and perhaps before I see the podium, Your Honor, we can impose upon your calendar because I think we are going to be looking to get a dip motion on in very short order uh, because as you're going to hear in cash collateral, we're seeking very, very limited cash collateral relief, really just what's essential to carry us through until we're in a position to get a dip motion on file on an emergency basis. We can get dip funds uh, in place to make payroll, et cetera, in the next couple of weeks. So as I mentioned, that hearing, I believe it's been set for March 20th in Canada. 
it is our hope that we would be able to see Your Honor either the afternoon of March 20th or March 21st to get emergency approval of a yet-to-be-filed intercompany BIP facility to enable us, as I say, to make payroll, et cetera. It is our hope at this stage that we will also be, uh, assuming Your Honor is inclined and willing, uh, that we would also be presenting to you um, a motion for conditional approval of a combined disclosure statement and plan, uh, again, with the intent of moving cases as quickly as possible and minimizing as much administrative burn as possible so that we're maximizing the value of the assets that are ultimately available for distribution to the creditors. And I'll note here, Your Honor, I, I was disappointed not to be able to have a plan on file because I, I do want to make sure everyone understands and that the court understands and that the U.S. trustee understands that what the parties are contemplating to be contained in that combined plan of disclosure statement is a, a series of class treatment sections that contemplate that the credit agreement lenders will be receiving trust interest and a trust that will hold litigation claims against Fred and that every other creditor that the debtors are aware of, other than Bread, who we expect may assert claims that will likely be disputed, uh, but every other creditor that's not a credit agreement claim holder or a Bread claim holder, uh, the debtors expect to pay in full in cash and, and in connection with the convenience class concept. So I do want folks to understand, uh, for folks that are uh, either employees or trade creditors or vendors or utilities, I do want people to understand at the outset of the cases that it is our hope and expectation that we'll be paying those claims in full in connection with these cases. Uh, the last plea of coming attractions, Your Honor, is a CURP. Uh, we are hoping to be, to be filing, and again, in the very near term, with any hope also to be heard uh, at our, the emergency hearing we're going to be seeking on the 20th and the 21st. Uh, this is a rank-and-file CURP. Uh, I, I believe it in the aggregate is less than a million dollars. Obviously, we're going to be socializing that. I think we already have with the Office of the United States Trustee. We are going to be looking to move forward with those uh, particular forms of relief as quickly as we can, obviously subject to the court's calendar. Uh, and I think that concludes the preview of coming attractions. So I think at this point we move to the agenda. Okay. Um, let me just tell you in terms of let's start thinking about it now. Um, I'm just looking at my calendar on the 20th and the 21st. Let's see. Give me a second. Let me just take a look at something. I may have a hearing on the 20th at 2. Um, and I've got a panel earlier, that the Chapter 13 panel. I could probably, I'm just going to give you some options and let you all think about it um, when you'd want to come in. Um, I could probably do the 20th at like noon um, for a hearing. May have a hearing a little after that, but I know I can do the noon. And then on the 21st, I've got a 2.30. I know Ms. Argeropoulos is going to be here on that one. Um, my 
from what I can tell, it shouldn't last more than an hour. So maybe um, I could probably do 3.30 on that day. But the morning, everything else is jammed on that Tuesday for sure. So just give that some thought. Maybe like 3.30 on the 21st or um, noon on the 20th. I'll let you uh, just check your schedules as we kind of proceed through there. Those are the times that I know um, I can do right now. Very good, Your Honor. I, I will note, I think one of the considerations from the company side is I think the company will be looking for approval as early in the week as they can because it's my understanding that they need to get the funds lined up to make payroll later that week. So if, if it works for the court, we'll, we'll talk to the, the folks that we need to participate in that hearing and we'll see if we can get agreement on, around the 20th because I suspect it will be the court's preference if, if that is available. Okay. So what I'm going to do is have my case manager just kind of block off both those blocks of time and just, why don't you just let her know which one you need. Okay. Perfect. Thank you, Your Honor. All Thank you. Uh, Mr. Burmish would be very, yes, Mr. Burmish would be very disappointed in me if I, if I neglected to move into evidence before the declaration. So now that it's concluded the opening presentation, I would like to do that at this time. <laughs> That's the, uh, the beauty of the slide, right? Um, let me just ask then, there's a first aid declaration filed at docket number 13. Um, any objection to the admission of the first aid declaration for purposes of today's hearing? Um, if there is any objection, either let me know or um, hit five star if you need to be recognized for that purpose. Judge Lopez, can you hear me? Yes, just tell me who you are. Yeah, John, John Higgins on behalf oh, of Oh, Mr. Brett. Higgins, yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. We do not object to the admissibility of the first day declaration for the limited purpose of today's hearing only. Thank you. And that's all. That's the only purpose on which it will be admitted. Okay. Docket number 13 is admitted for purposes of today only. Your Honor, may I be heard as well? Yes. Uh, thank you, Your Honor. This is Brian Resnick of uh, Davis Polk and Ward Royal on behalf of uh, Bridge Financial along with our uh, co-counsel, Mr. Higgins. Um, Your Honor, since uh, Ms. LaHaye um, referenced the fact that I think um, these cases are, you know, perhaps largely or even more, um, about potential claims against uh, our client, and there were a few things said in the declaration that Ms. LaHaye said. I just wanted to um, assure Your Honor that we very much disagree with the characterization, and uh, today is not the day for, for much of it, um, but um, but the, the, the picture that was painted of a, a company that was doomed to fail um, at the start from uh, by the transactions with our client um, is, is certainly uh, not how the facts are as, as we see it, not how the, the certainly not how the public markets saw it, and uh, Your Honor, we don't even believe that's how the first day declarant uh, saw it. I believe Ms. LaHaye said that it was fairly apparent that immediately after the spin, the company was left in an untenable position. I would note that after the spin, the market cap was $860 million, and Mr. Horn, the declarant himself, was out in the market buying with his own money almost half a million dollars of LBI shares in the weeks following the spin, even after the stock uh, rose to over a billion dollars. So there's a very different uh, picture to be told here, but today is, is not the day for it, but I didn't want to leave that unsaid. Um, I'd also like to note, Your Honor, that we don't have an issue with the with the sales part of, of, uh, of what is going on here. Um, uh, we're, we're just um, you know, taking issue with the, the 
potential claims and then the potential uh, potential plan that uh, that may be filed that will purport to pay all other creditors in full and not our client's uh, potential parry passive claim. So uh, we expect to have our day in court on that as well. Um, Your Honor, our client also has um, uh, issues with the cash collateral order, but uh, complex counsel, Mr. Higgins, will be handling that. Um, we had uh, certain issues with the NOL order, but we were able to address those consensually, as you will hear from Ms. LaHaye in a bit. Thank you. Before we turn to the first day relief, is there anyone else who wishes to make any statements before we proceed into the first day motions? Your Honor, this is Eli Columbus with Haynes and Boone. Yes, Mr. Columbus. Uh, representing Bank of America as the administrative agent under the credit agreement. Your Honor, just a few things. One, wanted to let the court know, as Ms. Um, LaHaye mentioned, there's three facilities under our credit agreement, a revolver, a term A, and term B loan. They're all peri through in terms of payment uh, obligations and also collateral um, and the term B, uh, so just so the court has the amount, the revolver, revolver outstanding amount is $32 million, plus about $8 million in letter of credit exposure. The term A is, has outstanding debt of about $161.8 million, and then the term B debt has outstanding uh, principal of $462.5 million. Um, the term B debt holders are represent or an ad hoc group of the debt holders are represented by Gibson Dunn and uh, Mr. Howley's firm. Um, and Your Honor, as was uh, mentioned in uh, uh, debtors council opening, a uh, transaction support agreement was finalized pretty late yesterday and uh, the revolver and term A lenders and the banks and the lender group um, are going through their approval process and we expect um, many more lenders to join that trans, uh, transaction support agreement, which applies to this Chapter 11 case and the CCAA proceedings in Canada, where the air mile business is expected to be sold through a stocking horse sale process. Um, the required lenders had also signed a consent to allow for the sale of the brand loyalty business in Europe. But there's been a lot of work done by lots of parties, um, and the agent and the revolver and term A lenders are supportive of the debtors in the Chapter 11, the CCAA, and again, we expect more of the bank group to join uh, formally into the transaction support agreement, Your Honor. Thank you. Anyone else? Hi, Judge. Um, this is Victoria Sopolis. If there's no more objections, I just wanted to make sure that um, we did get a ruling uh, uh, on our on our misbehave offer into the record. Of the declaration? Yes, yes. No, I'm admitting it for purposes of today. Great. Thank you, Judge. Thank you. Okay. All righty. Let's turn to first days. Very right, good. You're still with me, Your Honor, but I think we can take down the spot. Just a, just a second. I think there was one other person, and I apologize. I just noticed. Is there someone else who okay. wished to address the court? Yes, Your Honor. Uh, this is Steve Silverman from Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher. Yes, sir. As counsel to the Therapy Lender Group. I may be heard. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so as you'll see in our 2019 statement, uh, which we filed this morning at docket number 44, 
Um, the ad hoc groups comprised of lenders that collectively hold about 70% of the company's term B loan um, and a bit less than 50% of all funded amounts under the credit agreement. Uh, we are the other group that Eli was referring to um, that has already signed the um, CSA, um, and we're generally supportive of the company's efforts to date, including the terms of the BMO transaction. Um, we understand Eli's clients will be signing the PSA as well in a matter of days, um, at which point we'll hit the 66th and 63rd threshold uh, that Meredith flagged in her opening presentation. Um, that said, as Meredith noted, um, this has been a difficult situation for our clients. Um, we've been working diligently for months to try to facilitate an optimal transaction for this company um, with the cards they were dealt. Um, we believe that locking in a $160 million bid from BMO to serve as a stalking horse in what we trust and hope will be a robust marketing process in Canada is a great place to start from our client's perspective, but we still have a lot of wood to chop, um, especially around making sure the lender's rights are protected in the context of a transaction that actually maximizes value for the estate, um, both in the United States and Canada. Um, so just getting to the point, Your Honor, our ad hoc group fully supportive of the operational relief the debtors are seeking today, and we intend to remain fully engaged as these proceedings move forward, um, including with respect to making sure that the rights of all of the company's lenders are fully preserved along the way. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All righty. So, hey, where do we go? Very good. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, we're going to uh, kick things off, I think, with cash collateral, which, as you've heard, we are anticipating some comments from Brett on. Uh, so we'll start there, and then after we get through cash collateral, I will see the podium. But I will kick things off. Uh, Your Honor, as I see you a bit in my first day presentation, we have filed a motion for the use of the cash collateral at docket number 19. Um, that is uh, a motion pursuant to which we are seeking interim authorization to utilize $150,000 of conventional cash collateral really to fund the critical expenses that we're getting authorization, hopefully, to fund under these first day orders, uh, and also, Your Honor, to be able to project to the market and to all the folks that are watching these proceedings worldwide, to be able to project to folks who have access to at least some limited financing, to be able to make the payments that the company is obligated to make under these first day orders, and to the extent any, anything unforeseen arises, obviously gives us the ability to come back to the court if necessary uh, to seek authority to pay those payments. As I say, Your Honor, it is true interim relief. Uh, it is not projected to get us past something around March 20th or March 21st, which is why we're going to need the benefit of a larger facility to make payroll and make some of the other larger payments contemplated by our first day orders. Uh, Your Honor, the order itself, which, uh, like everything else in this case, we negotiated well through the night through the morning, and I think as recently as just a few minutes ago with the Office of the United States Trustee, uh, I would characterize, Your Honor, my experience as a, as a relatively middle-of-the-road, plain uh, vanilla even, cash collateral order in terms of what we're all used to seeing these days. Uh, it does have uh, what I would characterize as regular protections in support of a secured lender. I would even go so far as to say the adequate protection provision package that was contemplated in the order uh, is fairly slim. It contemplates provision of uh, replacement liens and claims effective upon entry of the interim order, uh, so there is a provision, provision in there uh, that I suspect we picked up in connection with future final orders that may be issued by this court that gives the, the lender advisors some comfort that if for whatever reason their fees are not paid out of Canada, which is the current expectation, 
that they will have a path to payment here in the United States. But again, even that payment provision does not go into effect pursuant to the terms of this interim order. Uh, the order does contemplate, again, what I've characterized as regular way stipulations. Those stipulations are, of course, subject to a challenge period that complies with all of the, the local procedure and requirements with which it needs to comply. Uh, we do have a contemplated release paragraph. Uh, but again, it was very important both to me and to the company that that release paragraph, not, again, not be operative until entry of the final order. Uh, and I, I suspect that one of the arguments that we're going to hear from Brad's counsel, Your Honor, is, gosh, this is a lot of bells and whistles to give in exchange for $150,000 of cash collateral usage. Uh, but, Your Honor, it's not that simple. Uh, as I'm, I'm sure Your Honor can appreciate, we've just walked through some incredibly complicated multi-jurisdictional international uh, transactions that came together really in a matter of days of the course of this past week, but have been in process for months. And the support that we're now happy to have in this courtroom was not easily obtained. It was a very difficult and, and hard negotiation with everybody involved in these boxes. And I'm very happy and grateful that we've all gotten here, because I think it would have been a much worse result for this company and for all of the employees whose jobs we're trying to preserve worldwide with all of the transactions that we're contemplating in the various jurisdictions. It would have been much worse to walk into court here and in Canada without their support. So this is not an isolated cash collateral order that contemplates just a discrete $150,000 ask. It is a cash collateral order that, that I would ask Your Honor to view in the context of the broader trans series of transactions contemplated by the transaction support agreement that these lenders have agreed to support. And in that context, Your Honor, it is the debtor's view that the relief that we're seeking is necessary and appropriate. I'm happy to, to respond if you have questions now. Otherwise, I think I've previewed my responses to some of the anticipated arguments from Brad. I'm happy to respond to anything else they may have after they, they make their presentation to the court, unless Your Honor has any questions, of course. I have no questions. Let me hear from anyone who opposes the relief requested first, just so I can understand kind of what the, the issues are. Uh, Mr. Higgins, you may be on mute, sir. I don't think it's... Yeah, better. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Judge. Um, and thank you for the opportunity. Brad Financial does oppose the entry of the cash water order as proposed by the debtors today. And I've got a few brief remarks, Your Honor. Um, first of all, this Chapter 11 cases appear to involve four debtor holding companies. These are not operating companies. Um, as best we can tell. And there does not appear to be any real legitimate purpose for approval of the cash collateral order, which the debtors are seeking on literally just a few hours' notice. Uh, we've just barely gotten through a lot of the pleadings, which I understand it's an emergency and the debtors can seek emergency relief, but this is not an emergency today, Your Honor. Um, and this cash collateral order is certainly nothing close to a plain vanilla middle-of-the-road cash collateral order. Um, Your Honor, if you take a look at the last page of the cash collateral order where the budget is attached, and if you can even call it a budget, it's just one sentence saying that the debtor shall be permitted to make all payments authorized pursuant to any order of the court or as otherwise agreed in writing by the pre-petition agent and the consenting lenders subject to a $150,000 cap in a hundred of million, hundreds of millions of dollar case and it expires on March 21. It does not list any expenses that must be paid. 
um, between now and March 21, nor does the first state declaration, the only evidence before your honor, even mention what expenses have to be paid. The first state declaration does say without prompt access to cash collateral, the debtors may be unable to pay necessary expenses and administer these cases. That's not sufficient under the code and the rules to justify and support an emergency motion for the use of cash collateral. Bankruptcy Rule 4001 is very clear that the motion itself must set forth the, for the use of cash collateral. And the only way the court can even authorize the use of cash collateral on less than 14 days notice is you can authorize the amount of cash collateral necessary to avoid, quote, immediate and irreparable harm to the debtors. They have failed to meet the standard, Your Honor. In exchange for the use of the maximum amount of $150,000, the lenders have negotiated a very robust cash collateral order that includes, and this is just a few, Your Honor, stipulations as to the validity of the lender's debt, which totals over $650 million, releases of any claims against the lenders, adequate protection liens and super priority claims, the payment of the lender's professional fees, a number of professionals, and upon entry of the final order, a 506C waiver, 552 waiver, and liens, and very importantly, Your Honor, liens on the proceeds of avoidance actions for $150,000. These types of provisions are usually included in multi-million dollar debt orders. And we believe, Your Honor, that the benefits to this estate are widely disproportionate to the relief being granted to the lenders. This case is being run for the benefit of the lenders so they can run a sale process. And these are the very same lenders that loaned $650 million to fund the spin transactions that the debtors complain about. Typically, the lenders would be one of the possible targets to be investigated and looked at for any potential claim. While the proposed order does contain a challenge period, the cost of an investigation does claim, the filing of a motion for standing, the challenge of the debtor's stipulations would certainly dwarf the $150,000 that's being authorized under this order. Your Honor, prior to the commencement of the hearing, Fred did offer to loan $150,000 to the debtor, which was rejected, and we were going to do it on simple terms. A general, I'm sorry, as an administrative expense claim with no range of security interest in a one-year maturity. For those reasons, Your Honor, Brad respectfully requests that the court deny entry of the order today. Thank you. Mr. Hammond, just here if anyone has any other comments, and then I'll come back to you. Does anyone else wish to be heard in connection with the cash collateral motion? Good afternoon, Your Honor. Can you hear me? Just fine. Thank you, Your Honor. So good afternoon. This is Annalise Gaines of Gibson Dunn. Here with my colleagues, Mr. Greenberg and Mr. Silverman, who have already noticed their appearance. I do, just quickly, and I won't go through the detail so that it's not repetitive, but I will briefly stand here and say that the term loan lenders are very supportive of entry of this cash collateral order, and not simply because we do believe that a company of this size 
with this complexity and with employees that it, it has to look out for does need um, the ability to have money when things come up, but, but also because um, what we have here today is just one component of a much larger transaction, um, as has previously been explained to you. What we have here is, is step one. Uh, what's coming down the pipeline is, is step two, three, four, um, and so on, uh, under which our group is, is agreeing, subject to the terms of the TSA and other documents that we're working through, to grant to the debtors um, I think what most people would consider extraordinary relief. And that's the ability for a priming facility to come in, not just domestically, but also over in Canada in the international proceedings. And so to look at what's going on today um, in a vacuum it is frankly a red herring. There, there's a broader deal that the lenders are working to support and, and do support. Um, and, and this is just the first component. This was always meant to be a short-term bridge facility um, to get to the next step. But because of jurisdictional and other logistical issues, there, there needed to be some interim uh, means for the company to have the ability to use cash collateral while we wait for the full approval of those much more complex financing documents that my group is, is working toward. And as I mentioned, um, at that point, we'll be seeking uh, much broader adequate protection packages than, than what's going on here, um, because we will be, again, consenting to priming along with other items. And so um, while I appreciate the, the concerns that, that have been raised here, um, I, I would like to note that, that some of the concerns um, are not in front of your honor today because they only are implemented upon entry of a final order. Uh, in particular, the releases um, that are being granted under the uh, cash collateral order are subject to entry of a final order. Um, the, the fees and expenses, again, um, subject to entry of a final order. Same with the 506C waivers, the 552, the marshalling, um, and the, the claims on uh, the, avoid, the proceeds of avoidance actions uh, under the current cash collateral order are subject to a final order. So, Your Honor, happy to answer any other questions, but I wanted to make sure you, you understood our support, my client's support for the transaction here. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. Anyone else? Your Honor, Eli Columbus for the Administrative Agent Bank of America. Uh, the agent also supports entry of the interim cash collateral order. Your Honor, adequate protection by defi definition in the bankruptcy code is not determined by the amount of collateral being used. That, that's not relevant. And here, there are protections to the extent of a diminution in value of our collateral, and uh, the debtors can exercise their business judgment to turn down a $150,000 admin expense loan and just simply use cash collateral with our consent pursuant to the order. And again, they would only incur uh, a admin claim for the use of that cash collateral to the extent of any diminution in value, and as, as the other parties have said, the stipulations are subject to the challenge period. Much of the relief and protections are subject to entry of a final order. So, again, we think it's appropriate under the circumstances. You know, there may be a need for, for use of more cash collateral, and, again, this will set the stage for the debtors to have a means to use that and for the parties to be able to uh, adjust the budget as necessary, but it gives the debtor 
flexibility. And again, in their business judgment, we think it's appropriate for them to have turned down the offer of an admin expense loan and rather use cash collateral uh, as the case moves on. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you. Ms. LaHaye. Thank you, Aaron. Just a couple of points in addition to what Ms. Gaines and Mr. Columbus just noted on behalf of the lenders. Uh, the, the first was an allegation that the relief that we're seeking isn't necessary because these are empty hold co-shells that have no cost and expenses. And, and Your Honor, Your Honor is going to hear a number of motions that we're presenting here today in connection with which we are seeking relief to make payments. As I noted in my opening statements, the company does not operate the debtors that are in Chapter 11 do not hold the air miles and the brand loyalty businesses directly. Those businesses are not in this Chapter 11 proceeding. But as I said, the, the infrastructure, the oversight, the management team, the, the piece of it that sits on top, that is what's in this court. And that part of the business does have employees and does have a management team. As I mentioned to Your Honor, we are going to be seeking approval of a non-insider CURP. Uh, we do maintain an office. We do maintain insurance policies. We do require utilities. And the folks that are on this phone, the management team, a lot, of the, a lot of what these people do is provide services and make sure that the worldwide operations run smoothly. So what the piece of the business that, that is before you, it may not be a huge component of the operating business, but it is essential to ensure the ongoing maintenance of the worldwide businesses that we spoke about previously. So it is not accurate to say that these are empty shell entities that have no operations that need support. Your Honor, again, is going to hear, and I think there's evidence in the first declaration that's been admitted, uh, that there are sources of, of funding that need to be made over the course of the interim period of this case. Uh, I know, for example, Your Honor, even just thinking about utilities and insurance and employees, uh, I know we don't have a major payroll run, but we're seeking other relief in connection with the wages motion for other employee obligations that may be paid off of payroll cycles. We are seeking, for example, authority to be putting uh, adequate assurance deposits in, as we always do, in order to make sure that the, the utility providers are given comfort that their, their services are going to be covered over the course of these cases. They're not huge, Your Honor. We're not talking about huge dollars within the context of this case, but this is why we're only speaking at 150000 of consensual usage. It's sized to match the anticipated needs under the first day orders for the duration of the case and its size to ensure that we can communicate to the market as part of our worldwide communications message. We can tell people we've gotten all the relief we needed at our first day hearings in the U.S. and Canada. We have access to funds. We have all of the money we need to continue to operate in the ordinary course effectively and subject to the jurisdiction and oversight of this court and the CCAA court. But everyone should stay calm. Everything's going to be okay. I mean, that is the important message that folks have been trying to get out at 7 o'clock this morning when the news broke. I mean, it's very, very important to the company that we manage these messages and we can tell people what we need to be able to tell people uh, to keep people from panicking and, for example, redeeming miles in Canada that shouldn't be redeemed. Um, that's the response, I think, from the company's perspective to the first argument that we don't need the money. Uh, but the, one of the other arguments was made that was made is that um, there was an offer, that, and that is obviously accurate, Your Honor. There was an offer made this morning. Greg did offer to give us the money, and I believe it was characterized as something simple, um, that it was a, a simple proposition the company should have taken. Your Honor, there's, there's nothing simple. First of all, there's nothing simple about Brad making an offer to the company under these, under these circumstances in any event, but there's certainly nothing simple about Brad making an offer to provide funds pursuant to an order that if the company were to agree, would find the company in violation on day one of these cases of a transaction support agreement that a company has bent over backwards to be in a position to enter into, 
to, again, communicate stability to the market and ensure that we've got a smooth path to exit. And I know that the 1,500 employees or so that this company has aren't in this court, Your Honor, but they're employees that this management team is very focused on, and we're very focused on ensuring that everything we're doing in these cases is enabling the going concern operation of the businesses around the world, which will enable us to preserve jobs, again, all over the world. So from the company's perspective, um, the simple decision was to, do, was to do what we need to do to be in compliance with the terms of our transaction support agreement and enter into, from our perspective, agreement with respect to an order that we perceive to be completely in compliance with all of the protocols and the local rules of this court. Again, has all of the normal protections uh, of a challenge period with all of the normal timelines, et cetera. Uh, I'm happy to field any other questions from your honors. I think, I think we've, we've covered the objections raised by Fred at this point. Okay. So... Governor, may I briefly respond? Sure. The only comment I've got in addition to the previous comments, Your Honor, is that they're not seeking approval of the TSA today. And as Gibson um, Dunn announced, this is step one of a multi-part transaction. We think it's inappropriate for the court to approve step one when step two and three are not even before the court, Your Honor. Thank you. And before the court is a motion for the use of cash collateral. It's filed at docket number 19. We find that uh, it's appropriate for me to consider the motion on an emergency basis and service has been proper under the circumstances. I do note that these cases were filed um, relatively early this morning, and so uh, there's been very short notice provided to all parties in interest, and so the court... Uh, takes an especially hard look um, at, and a close look at, to consider uh, relief requested um, under under circumstances. In in this case, um, I'm going to grant the motion. I'm going to overrule the objection. Um, the, the relief requested is is short, uh, and it's a a short period of time. Uh, the debtor is allowed to seek the use of cash collateral or. Um, seek other forms to fund the relief requested under first-day motions um, and elected to seek the consensual use of cash collateral. I'm going to find that the, um, the request is reasonable. I understand that there's an ask. Um, it's not a formal budget, uh, but I do note that it's a, it's, a, it's a small amount of cash that's requested on an interim basis, and, and the, the uses are are, are listed, right? They're listed under the employee wage motion. And if you look at the insurance motion, utility motion, it's there. Um, so I do find that it's appropriate. And a lot of the relief requested is really sought in connection with the final. Uh, this is really just interim relief to keep, um, allow the debtor to transition into Chapter 11. I do find that under the circumstances, uh, even under this short time period, um, that the relief, the ask is, is reasonable. Uh, under the circumstances, and so I do find that the debtors have used their business judgment uh, under the circumstances that the relief is requested as appropriate. Um, I did see that there was a proposed change um, requested, um, and there was a, another version, and I do appreciate Ms. Wirtz just filing the, <laughs> the change page only. Uh, I find this appropriate. But um, I do, I, I view this as a request for Interim use of cash collateral. I do understand there's a broader transaction here, but and I, I, you know that's not for me to look at today. I do I, I do understand it, and I do understand why the debtors are saying it. I'm granting this relief requested because it's the one that's before me, uh, and I believe it's appropriate 
based upon the relief that is requested here. So I do understand Mr. Higgins' concerns, and I do appreciate him asking the questions. It makes me look at this again and look at it with fresh eyes. But, again, I'm not approving a global transaction today. I'm just approving the use of $150,000 over a short period of time so that the debtor can ease into Chapter 11 and make sure that employees get paid and utilities get provided, assuming I approve those motions. So I'm going to approve the motion, and I'm going to sign the proposed form of order that is filed at docket number 60. Okay? Where do we go next? Thank you very much, Your Honor. At this point, I will turn the virtual podium over to the Jackson-Walker team to continue with the agenda. Thank you. I'm going to be presenting the bar date motion to the docket. Our general bar date of April 10th, a governmental bar date of September 5th, and a rejection of damages bar date 30 days after the date of a rejection of an executory contract. We also have, well, I guess I'll start with just our confirmation one. As Mr. Hayes said earlier, we are expecting to, we're on kind of a faster track. We are expecting to confirm by April 28th and go effective by May 5th. Those are our milestones under the TSA. And so while it is a general bar date only 30 days after the cases were filed, it is reasonable in the circumstances because of our fast pace trajectory. We expect a 30 to 35-day process, and the company and its professionals have done a substantial amount of diligence before filing the case to discover who their known creditors are. And that brings me to Exhibit 4 to our bar date motion, which is a little bit different. As we have requested in the redaction motion, we are seeking to serve the bar date package on the parties listed in Exhibit 4, who are our list of known claims, and who will, of course, be serving notice parties, too, that are outlined in the motion. But this Exhibit 4 to the bar date order represents all the work that's been undertaken and also shows that our universe of claims is not very large. And so, again, with the quick timeline that we're proposing, the small number of claims... You broke up a little bit at the very end. If you wouldn't mind repeating your sentence. Excuse me. All that is to say we have a small universe of creditors other than the consenting stakeholders who are already on board and have been participating in this process, and therefore our bar dates are reasonable in light of those circumstances. We also have a slightly different group of claim forms, and if you wouldn't mind letting me be the presenter, I can show it to you. The group of claim form has one new addition to our redaction motion a little bit here. But we have heard the court's... Well, we've heard Judge Stones' concerns in response to 
in the event in the Celsius bankruptcy case, um, that was that was discussed. There we go. Discussed in the ICG case uh, on the first day hearing. In that case. There were the, there were some scammers finding public or finding personal identifying information on the public claims register and uh, who who were targeting people with file proof of claim, sending them altered altered versions of orders of uh, court orders and false information to try to harm them financially, possibly in other ways. Um, we've also heard Judge Isker's concerns uh, in Australia about having a truly inaccessible uh, claims register. And so what we've done with this proof of claim form is to try to strike a balance and also take opportunities uh, to adjust to the court's um, changing preferences. And we're taking this opportunity to get a little bit more creative and practical. So we've added, in question one, we've added a two checkboxes for claimants to say whether they are an employee um, and to indicate that they want their contact information redacted. Or if they're not an employee or former employee, former employee, then they can search the box that says, I'm an individual, please redact my contact information. And the purpose here is to, you know, on the debtor side, to minimize the amount of effort it takes if people file two proofs of claim, we have to chase them down and the professor has to sit down and reconcile a completely redacted proof of claim with uh, with their records, and that's just kind of an unnecessary amount of diligence uh, when we can have people tell us that they are individual information redacted. So um, I just wanted to highlight I can stop sharing my screen now. Okay. So, Ms. Andrew, let me just kind of, before I, yeah. I open it up to questions, I, I got one point I want to just note, and, and then I got a, a question so that I understand how it works. I only have one slight concern. The, the issue with the redaction, zero concerns about that. I think it's appropriate. Um, and I like it. Um, the, the 180 days, according to Google, is... September 6th, not September 5th, knowing that the case was filed today. I'd like to just add that. Uh, I'm not saying this is, you know, Judge Google uh, work here, but I think 180 days from today, and I want to make sure that no one, the government gets its full 180 days, so there's there's no issues coming down the line there. If we can, y'all are okay with pushing that out to September 6th. Um, I think counting, um, I'm fine. I can, and I can make that that change. Um, the, the one issue that I've got is, I understand this is a small universe. I'm actually going to get sent. So I'm, I'm open to the concept. Uh, I'm letting you know that now. Um, I got it. It's a very small universe. A couple of them are, are technically here. So I got it. They're, they're going to get notice, and, and you've been doing a bunch of work. The, the one question I've got is, and maybe it's not an issue if, right, if everybody's unimpaired and, again, subject to everyone's rights and confirm, confirmation of a plan. But, but the, the motion requests that the debtors be able to supplement the notice by 14 days. Um, and so that tells me that then someone's going to get, you know, 14 days from today would be March 24th, and then somebody will get mail, I don't know, the 17th or the 18th, and it looks like that person would get 14 days to get a, a claim on file, and that just gives me a little heartache that they would have essentially less time than, than folks who have been identified here. And I, th that's the one issue I, I want to just make sure that I that I understand the, the way it works. I, especially if somebody's going to get something in, in the mail, if has to put something in the mail, uh, then I get nervous 
you know, that someone's going to, you know, when did Kroll get it? It's, you know, is it really 11 days that they're getting? That's the one question that I've got, and I just want you all to think about that. And I'd be interested in your thoughts there. I got it. You need to go fast. But I'm concerned about someone's due process rights who, you know, may only have 10 days to respond to get a bar date notice. You know, I should say to get a bar date notice and to get a proof of claim on file. So I want you all to consider just, you know, maybe you all can just commit to getting this done within the next, you know, seven days. And if somebody then, you know, figure out your work. But if you supplement it, then I think we've got to push it out. If you go past 14 days, then I do think someone, I think we need to push it out to at least give someone a couple of weeks to get something on file. But those can be done on a one-off, and the bar date could be extended, you know, to a particular subset that you think. I'm concerned about just some individual employee or something finding it out. But maybe you all can think about that. Thank you, Judge. I hear you loud and clear. There are a lot of employees on, or I guess by percentage, the individuals that are on our Exhibit 4 to the bar date order are a number of employees. And because of that, I'm not particularly worried that we don't have the contact information. We are going to serve the bar date package within three business days of entry of the bar date order. And that brings me to an agreement that I have with Mr. Durant that I'll get to in a moment. But I completely agree with Your Honor, and in no way are we trying to prejudice anybody or take away anyone's due process. If somebody gets a bar date package and doesn't have enough time to respond to it, and it's after the 14-day period, then you're completely welcome to come to court. You're completely welcome to reach out to me or our school counsel at Kincaid to put off paper. No, no, I know no one is. I'm just kind of playing it out in my head in terms of what's the agreement between the debtor and the U.S. trustee. Right. We're going to upload a new proposed order reflecting this change to paragraph 13 of the bar date order. It says that we will serve the bar date package as soon as reasonably practical, but we've made this change to three business days. And there are also the reasons I have not uploaded. I'm sorry, what was the other point? It's just the one, the bar date order. We're changing paragraph 13 to say that we will serve the bar date package within three business days after entry of the bar date order. The second point is not actually resolved yet, and so I'm going to have to pass the mic back over to the Aiken Gump team because I understand they have been in discussions with the lenders about additional changes to the bar date order, and so we will be uploading a new proposed order later this afternoon, I hope, but I will have to pass the mic back to you. Can someone preview kind of what, at least to the extent you can, just give me a heads up on the issue? Your Honor, Hector Durant for the U.S. Trustee's Office. One of the issues that you raised here with respect to a supplemental mailing, if there's additional potential claimants, was one of the questions that I asked 
Uh, I was told that any party would be welcome to file a motion to reopen or to extend the deadline. I don't know if that's going to be something that's feasible given some of the people who are potential claimants, uh, but perhaps the debtors can work with these people. I'm especially concerned if there's a supplemental mailing or any additional potential claimants inside the period of 14 days prior to the bar date. What happens to them? Yeah, I, I, I can upload your order. I can just, I don't, I can, I don't know what the other changes are, and I'm happy to look at them, and then you can just let me know. I, I can tell you, I'm, I'm open to the concept, but, but I can tell you, um, the, the less time I have, the, the more open I am to someone just writing me a letter and saying, you know, can I have a couple of extra days kind of stuff. And But I, I think you all can work with, with, with people there. Um, yeah. I, I'm just kind of giving you a heads up. But if everybody, I just don't want someone to get jammed because they got seven, ten days on this. But that's essentially what my order would do, and I don't think they need to file a motion requesting it. I just think you know, can just hear what I'm saying, and maybe those things can get resolved without me having to know. Loud and clear, Judge. We will um, will continue to be in touch okay. with Mr. Duran uh, and um, oh, and okay. as far as the lender. And then just do the September sixth. And I think other than that, I'm I'm open to it. I will I will approve the conceptual bond date. But I, I before I sign the order, obviously, if someone can just upload a red line, and I'll I'll take a look at it. Um, but I do want to sign it today. So get it to me. Get me something today. So let's just keep going through, and then maybe people can start to work on it because I want to sign something today so that, um, you know, over the, you know, we can get Kroll to work. I sign their order. They can go do what they have to do, and, the, and so can the client. So. Thank you, Judge. Um, I, I'm going to have to ask Ms. LaHaye to jump in and confirm that we can uh, file that today and what the change is. I'm sorry to make it, I'm sorry to make it happen, Your Okay. Oh, Mr. Hey, look, I'll, I'll sign them on Saturdays, too. I don't care. Just get them, you know. Um, I, what, I, what, I, what I'm trying to avoid is because I know things are, the, the clock is ticking, you know, something Monday afternoon so that then, you know, then by the time it gets out or Crow needs it or something, and then it's, you know, it's, it's really, Monday really is Wednesday. Um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, if you email us, I'll, I'll sign it. It can be Saturday, Sunday, or, Monday, you know, just get it to me as soon as you can. I guess that's the real, the way, way to think about it. Um, so I don't want to jam anyone tonight. That, I do understand people need sleep. So, um, but the, the sooner I'll, I'll sign it when it's ready. Okay. Maybe the better way of saying it is I won't, be the, I won't be the hold up. Maybe that's the way of saying it. So, uh, all right, where do we go next? Okay, we're going to go to um, Ms. Leo Lopez of Aiken Gump. Uh, good afternoon, Your Honor. Can you uh, hear me? Good Just afternoon. fine. Good afternoon. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Leah Lopez, and I just want to thank you and every all of my colleagues for the opportunity to present today. Um, Your Honor, by this motion, the debtors are seeking final relief to pay pre-petition wages, salaries, other forms of compensation, and reimbursable expenses to their employees, as well as to continue the Employee Compensation Benefits Program all in the ordinary course, which includes certain other pre-petition obligations owed to employees. Uh, so, Your Honor, as I'm sure that you appreciate, and everyone on this, on this call and at this hearing can appreciate, 
The employees are really truly integral to the debtors and their operations. They really do form the lifeblood of the company. And this notion is meant to send those employees a strong message that their interests are being looked after and being directly addressed in this case. Um, aside from the employee interests, uh, granting this notion will also provide a benefit to the estate because it will help preserve that same institutional knowledge and those unique skills that are held by the employees in order to carry this case to the finish line. Your um, Honor, in terms of specific relief being sought, under the motion, we're seeking to pay pre-petition obligations to the employees in the amount of about $371,330. And that represents um, payments to 18 salaried and full-time employees, as well as to two contractors who themselves are also integral to the debtor's operations. Um, and finally, Your Honor, I just wanted to note that we've presented this motion to the U.S. Trustee, as well as to the Lenders Council. And we've incorporated or we've resolved questions and comments that they've had. We're definitely grateful for all of their input and participation. And we'd ask that the motion be granted. So I wanted to stop here and ask if you had any questions. Yeah. I'm not like the mean other judges that appear in this district and ask people random questions just to see if they know what they're talking about. I'm, I'm a, I've, I just want to know if, if anyone is over the cap that I should be aware of. Ms. Lopez. No, Your Honor, not to my knowledge. Um, I'll defer to any of my colleagues, but to my knowledge, no, there, there's nothing over the cap. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, does anyone wish to be heard in connection with the cash, I should say the employee wage Your Honor. motion? Yes. Hector Durant for the U.S. Trustee. Uh, all our comments were incorporated. We, we don't have any objection to its entry. Okay. And is the, the order at number seven the one that you still want me to sign, Ms. Lopez? Uh, yes. Okay. All righty. It is signed All right. and on its way to docketing. I'm going to find that the relief requested is appropriate, that service is appropriate, and um, I'm going to make sure that employees uh, understand it's right around that time of the month when, you know, you just got past rent and now you got to start to pay the bills. So I want to make sure people feel like they can uh, get paid and for the work that they've been doing. So. I grant the motion. Where do we go next? All right. Thank you very much. I'll, I'd like to see the podium to my colleagues at Marathon. Yes, and, and Ms. Lopez, you forgot to make the most important comment, that there is no relationship between Chris Lopez and Leah Lopez. That was the, uh, <laughs> was the important yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's nothing there yet. <laughs> None that we know of. That was, that's what you had to start with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you okay. very much. Thank you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Maddox Soft of Aiken Gump uh, on behalf of the debtors. I'll be presenting items 7 and 8 on the agenda, the insurance motion and the NOL motion, uh, at docket numbers 5 and 6, respectively. Um, the, insurance, the debtors currently maintain a comprehensive insurance program comprising approximately 25 insurance policies, providing coverage to the debtors and their non-debtor subsidiaries. By this motion, the debtors seek entry of an order authorizing the debtors to continue insurance coverage uh, entered into pre-petition and satisfy any related pre-petition obligations uh, related thereto, as well as renew, amend, supplement, extend, or purchase additional insurance policies in the ordinary course of business post-petition, uh, and last, purchase tail coverage under their insurance policies. 
As of the petition date, the debtors do not believe that there are any outstanding pre-petition obligations owed on account of the insurance policies. Maintaining uninterrupted coverage under the insurance policies is essential to the debtors' goals for the Chapter 11 cases going forward and the global transactions contemplated by the company. Uh, moreover, purchasing the six-year tail uh, coverage with respect to the debtors' employee practices liability policy and the fiduciary policy are both uh, an a sound exercise of the debtors' business judgment as it will enable the estates to expand the scope of coverage for these policies and protect the company's employees from any claims that may be lodged against them based on the fulfillment of their obligations to the company. So unless your honor has any questions, we respectfully request that the court enter the proposed order. Anyone wish to be heard in connection with the insurance motion? Okay. It's approved. Debtors pay the insurance. Where do we go next? And uh, next on to uh, item eight of the agenda, the NOL motion, docket number six. Uh, by the NOL motion, the debtors seek to protect their net operating losses and other tax attributes by implementing procedures whereby holders of LBI's common stock would need to provide certain notice before they are allowed to acquire or dispose of equity in the debtors and also before making certain worthless stock tax deductions. The relief requested in the NOL motion is necessary and appropriate because changes to the equity structure could incur tax attributes that otherwise could be, could be used by the debtors for the benefit of all creditors and all parties in interest. We believe the NOL message sends a message of stability to the market and therefore is in the best interest of the debtors' estates. The proposed procedures have been narrowly tailored uh, with restrictions and notification requirements with respect to the common stock. The NOL motion filed on the docket contemplates this release being approved on a final basis. However, prior to the hearing, we received a request from counsel to Bread that the order be entered only on an interim basis with all relief requested to be subject to the entry of a final order for consideration at a second day hearing in no fewer than 21 days. Uh, we, counsel to the debtors, have no objection to this and are happy to proceed on an interim basis if that would be amenable to the court. Oh. Um, so let me ask, just ask, does anyone else wish to be heard in connection with the NOL motion? Um, yes, 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 Your Honor. This is uh, Brian Resnick of Davis Polk on behalf of Fred again. Yes, sir. Uh, Your Honor, we appreciate, uh, we appreciate the debtor's uh, willingness to make this uh, on an interim, but there was one other aspect of it that, uh, that the debtors had agreed to, and that is um, that any obligation of our client, Fred Financial, to submit or file notices or declarations contemplated under the NOL procedures would be due no sooner than 20 days after entry of a final order. So it basically kicks our deadlines to comply as well. Got it. Okay. Um, let me ask. Anyone else wish to be heard? I'm going to approve the NOL motion on, a, on, an, on an interim basis. I do find that the relief is appropriate under the circumstances. Um, counsel, tell me how you want me to handle the order. Um, I suppose that we, uh, we make a few minor modifications to the order just to reflect that it is an interim order and uh, the additional relief with respect to bread. Um, and we could have that uploaded 
shortly after this hearing. So why don't I do this? Why don't I? I've heard the deal, um, Mr. Resnick. So I'm, I'm, what I'd like to do is just put the word interim on this order, and 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 no one will hold it against you in terms of your, your requirement to file anything here. And that way, um, this is this is when I help young associates out. You know, you don't have to go back and, and start reading through all this because the NOL motion is long, and you don't want to enter into that trap. Um, so I, what I'd like to do is just enter the word interim on this order at the very top. Look at the way it is, and the deal between you and uh, Mr. Resnick's client is on the record, and I'll accept it if that's okay with you all. That works for us if that works for Mr. Resnick. Yes, it does. Thank you, Your Honor. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Your Honor. All right. Where do we go next? Your Honor, I, I just I would request the, the final hearing date on the NOL motion. Yes, I think, and I think we probably need to. Deadline. Yeah, I think we need to set one, and I'll, and I'll do it for, for all purposes once we kind of get through these so I can know. I, I know we've got to pick a date um, for cash collateral and the uh, – Another motion, so and, and I'll, I'll definitely get you one for that. Um, where do we go next on the motions? Uh, apologies, um, I would like to cede the podium to my colleague Amelia Danovich. All Thank right. you. Good afternoon, Miss Danovich. Hold on, I might need to hit. Five star. I don't know if have you hit or Mistanovich is, is. Let's see. Let me know if I've unmuted your line here. Give it a shot. Uh, can you hear me? Okay. Uh, wait. Oh, I think I think my line's unmuted now. Right. We've got victory. Okay. Good afternoon. <laughs> Good afternoon, Your Honor. Amelia Danovich, Hagen Gump, Draft Power and Spell, proposed co-counsel to the debtors. Um, next up is the utilities motion, which is agenda item 6, filed at docket number 23. By this motion, the debtors are seeking approval of their adequate assurance procedures and to prohibit utility providers from altering, refusing, or otherwise discontinuing utility services. The debtors proposed to deposit $3,000, which represents the estimated cost of utilities for 14 days, into a segregated bank account, um, and that will serve as additional assurance payment for the debtor's utility providers. The relief requested in this motion is procedural, and it does not affect the substantive rights of the utility providers. Instead, it merely establishes procedures uh, to resolve a dispute if a utility provider is uh, dissatisfied with the adequate assurance uh, deposit that is um, suggested for them, and if necessary, provide an expedited route to this court um, if a consensual agreement cannot be reached between the debtor and the utility providers. Uh, the proposed form of order has, um, incorporates comments received from the U.S. trustee and the lenders, and unless Your Honor has any questions, I would ask that the court enter the proposed order. No, I've got no questions. I did see the comments there. I appreciate it. Uh, now you know the difference between Judge Isker and I. He would have asked you a bunch of questions about the utility motion, and I won't. Um, I'll just appreciate the thought your presentation was was really good. Got right to the point. Told me exactly what I needed to know, as long as as well as your other colleagues. I meant forgot to mention that. Um, so 
I am going to approve the utility motion. Where do we go next? Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, we'll turn now to the cash management motion, which is agenda number nine, and was filed as docket number 20. Um, I'll also flag that we made a revision to the cash management schematic, which is attached as Exhibit 1 to the proposed order. This was filed earlier uh, this afternoon at docket number 55. Mm -hmm. I'll note that no changes were actually made to the proposed order itself. It was just to the schematic. No, so I got it. And you deleted the first page of the exhibit. Yes, that's, that's correct. Mm -hmm. um, so by this motion, the debtors seek authority to continue operating their cash management system in the ordinary course of business. This would include maintaining their existing bank accounts, business forms, and uh, commercial credit card program maintained with Amex, and also performing certain intercompany transactions. The debtors also seek to pay any accrued and unpaid pre-petition bank fees, which um, as of now is approximately $3,500. Uh, to give a quick overview of the debtors' cash management, cash management system, the debtors have 10 bank accounts, which serve different functions within the cash management system. We've included a list of these bank accounts um, as Exhibit 2 to the proposed order, and as noted, a schematic detailing the flow of funds through that integrated system is included as Exhibit 1. The motion also seeks authority to continue the debtor's intercompany transactions, which historically included intercompany dividends, intercompany loans, and certain intercompany expenses under an intercompany services agreement. The debtors really do not expect a high volume of uh, intercompany transactions over the course of these Chapter 11 cases, um, but do expect to continue providing certain services to non-debtor uh, Loyalty One Co. and um, in return receive payments from Loyalty One Co. on a monthly basis. Uh, the proposed form of order incorporates comments from the U.S. trustee and our lenders and, um, as noted, was refiled at docket number 55. So I will pause there to see if Your Honor has any questions. No, I have no questions. Does anyone wish to be heard in connection with the cash management motion? All right, I'm going to approve the cash management motion. I know I can't, I need to fill in a, a final hearing date and an objection deadline, and I will do that at the, at the end. But this is a cash management motion. I do appreciate it. We're going to do it on an interim basis, and I understand why. Uh, really just to allow the debtor to ease into Chapter 11 and maintain a status quo with its cash management system. So I find this more of a procedural motion. So I will grant the relief requested. Let's just figure out when we get to, and uh, maybe I'll speak to Ms. Um, Lehman, and then we got to figure out whenever we figure out the final hearing date for that, I'll plug in this one. So where do we go next? Perfect. Thank you, Your Honor. Hi. I will be giving the podium back to Ms. Lehman. Yeah. I think we're there, Your Honor. I think we're at the scheduling part of the discussion. Okay. So okay. I, I think, Your Honor, that's the Hall, if, if you give yeah. me a second, it, it's really, I, I know I didn't ask any questions for, for, for those who were, who were listening, but I, it, it's really important that I communicate, uh, at least for me, um, how much I appreciated uh, the, the amount of preparation that they put into presenting at first days. Um, when I got my first chance to present at first days, uh, it took years to have the opportunity uh, to do so because we are operating under an era where uh, clients only wanted the most senior partner to present at a first day hearing and, you know, so the young associates present, you know, wrote up the motions and, you know, we were lucky if we were able to sit in the courtroom um, and, and listen on that day. So taking the train, if you will, to, to the hearing was the big 
excitement, you know, and be able to sit at council's table was, was the exciting thing. Um, so, um, but you all took it seriously, and you prepared, and now you've got a good war story that you were up at, you know, until 5 in the morning filing a motion, and then you got to present. So I applaud each of one of you. Um, never forget um, how you prepared for today, um, because that is the key, my opinion, to a successful career. So I thank each and every one of you for your presentation. I thank um, Debtors Council for allowing younger lawyers to present today. I think it's incredibly important. And I just um, just expressed my appreciation. Um, and I, you know, counsel and clients can be listening. Uh, I think it's exactly what we want to see. So, um, yeah, I just needed to communicate that. And I wanted to do it before I forgot. So, anyway, Ms. LaHaye, thank you. Uh, thank you, Anne Wright. I know that that's, that's very meaningful to hear from, from the team. I know they've obviously been working very hard and, um, I know there have been some jokes in this jurisdiction about people surviving on Diet Mountain Dew, but I've learned over the past 48 hours that this, this team survives on Diet Coke. So I'm looking forward to them getting a bit of a break from Diet Coke. But I, I know that, that your comments are very well, very much appreciated by the team. So thank you on their behalf. Okay. So now, we, now we've got a schedule. What were you thinking? Uh, Your Honor, I was thinking I, I have seen some emails uh, during the course of the hearing that lead me to believe that I do think that we've got critical mass of folks on the March 20th date, if we are able to grab, I think you said it was a noon central time slot on the 20th for some of the emergency matters I had mentioned earlier. And mm -hmm. then I suspect we'll need to schedule something a bit later for our second day hearing on, on these matters. So perhaps we could grab the 20th uh, and then just looking at the calendar, maybe something the week of April 3rd. Does that make sense, John? Yeah. So, yeah. So we'll come back on the 20th for the emergency matters and then come back on April 3rd for the second days? I have I'm flexible, Your Honor, whatever works that week. No, 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 no that, that's fine for me. That would want to that's completely fine for me. Um, let's see, April 3rd. Uh, yeah. What, can we do April 3rd at, I've got a couple of hours there where I know I've got, uh, let's see, April 3rd, I can probably give you a couple of hours. April 4th is wide open, just depending on how much time you need. I probably, there's something I have to go to that starts around, I could probably start around 2 o'clock and end at 4.30, but if, if folks are going to need more time on that, than that on that day, or if you want to clear the calendar, April 4th, I know I can, I can give you any time you want. Your Honor, to be conservative, let's take the fourth. I'm not. I don't know exactly what we're going to have calendar on that date yet. So good to preserve flexibility to have more time. I okay. Think that works. So why don't we do April fourth? Um, and why don't we start at? Let's. Is, is 10 a.m. Central work? Oh, Okay. And so, let's see. That makes the. What were you thinking as the objection deadline? Uh, let's see. So if we go to April 4th, let's see. Then you got served out on the 10th. I'm just looking at my calendar here. 
would March 27th as the objection deadline work for you? Just Any chance of the 24th, Your Honor? Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah, give you a little over a week. I think that's fair because they're, they're going to get two weeks because we're going to serve it on the 10th. So. Uh, yeah, we'll do it the 24th, but it'll just be the 24th. It won't be at 5 p.m. or any of that stuff. It'll just be the 24th. So April, I'm writing down what I said so I can stick it in the cash management. April 3rd at 10 a.m. And then just uh, March 24th, and it'll just be March 24th on that date. Uh, I think that's the only cash management was the only one that I had to kind of fill in the, the blank. So if you can just make sure there's a good notice of hearing out there that kind of serves everything up. Um, uh, oh, April 4th, uh, April 4th at 10 a.m. I'm already messing up. April 4th at 10 a.m. Uh, okay, anything else you think we need to talk about today? Yeah, Your Honor, I think that concludes the agenda. I will just say thank you again. I know this was a particularly compressed period of time for folks to prepare for the hearing, especially Your Honor. So we're very appreciative, and we wish everyone a, a wonderful rest-filled weekend. And, and we thank everyone for their cooperation and support to get us where we are today. Okay. Anyone else wish to be heard today? Anything else we need to talk about from anyone? All righty. Thanks, everyone, for your participation today. I very much appreciate it. Ms. LaHaye, thanks for guiding us through this today. Um, and I look forward to seeing everyone again, I guess, pretty soon. Thank you very much. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.